Please turn with me in your pew Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. You'll have to excuse me this morning. My, I'm fighting a bit of a cold, but we're gonna, I'm going to press on anyway. Lord willing, we'll, we'll get through the sermon. Um, I, in talking with one of our older members recently, uh, one of our newer members, in fact, someone, she mentioned, uh, I would really like to hear some sermons on the Beatitudes of our Lord Jesus in His Sermon on the Mount. And I said, well, about six or seven years ago, I did a, a series, a teaching series on the Beatitudes, but I'm willing to resurrect that and uh, change it up a little bit, make a few modifications, and um, do a sermon series on the Beatitudes. And so, we're going to begin that this morning. Um, in the evenings, I'll go back to First Peter, um, but uh, this morning we're going to look at the first Beatitude of our Lord Jesus. Uh, I'd like to read the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5, and then we're going to turn to Luke 4 and read a short passage from there as well. This is God's holy Word for our instruction in righteousness. Beginning reading at verse 1 of chapter 5, seeing the crowds, He, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when He sat down, His disciples came to Him, and He opened His mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you." This morning, we're going to focus our attention on verse 3 there, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Would you turn with me now to a secondary passage in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, I'd like to read just a small portion here, verses 16 to 21. Our Lord Jesus has just begun His ministry. He goes into the synagogue and He preaches about Himself. Verse 16, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And here we conclude the reading of God's Word this morning. Feel free to keep your Bibles out and your thumb or finger in that place. We'll be looking at a few passages this morning. 
somewhat recently I came across an article, and the title of the article was this, At Last, All the Secrets of Happiness Explained. At Last, All the Secrets of Happiness Explained. And the article uh, listed 12 secrets that scientists have discovered uh, to keep people happy and smiling. And I wonder this morning, brothers and sisters, what would it take you uh, to be truly happy? What would it take for you to be truly happy? A new house, a new car, um, good health, an instant supply of, of gratifications, flat abs? What would it take for you uh, to be truly happy? Well, among the 12 secrets to happiness listed in the article, the, the scientists listed optimism and courage. Uh, freedom to choose, and genuine in- independence, uh, good health, and, of course, humor. But different than the world might think about what makes us truly happy as human beings, our Lord Jesus teaches a very different code for the truly blessed or the truly happy life. And our Lord Jesus teaches us that blessedness, true blessedness, is experienced through genuine kingdom discipleship. We've come in our reading of Matthew 5 to that portion of Scripture, chapters 5 through 7, that is known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's really a summary of what Jesus taught to a selection of followers and and religious teachers of His day. And, And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching us about the nature of discipleship lived in the presence of God, in the power of the kingdom of God. As you know, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is is a theme that we come across frequently in the Scriptures, especially here in Matthew's gospel. What is the kingdom of God? Well, when the Bible talks about the kingdom of God, it's talking about the reign, the rule, the authority of God over all things especially in and through Jesus Christ, who is both the Creator and the Redeemer of all things. And in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we find a challenging but a very practical set of attributes that ought to characterize our lives as those who belong to the kingdom of God, as those who belong under the rule and the reign, the sovereignty of God. And we call these attributes, these characteristics, beatitudes from the Latin beatus because they involve a pronouncement of blessing upon those who display them. But in contrast to the ideas of our world and our culture, this blessedness is far more than a temporary feeling. This blessedness is its much more than a circumstantial feeling of happiness after we've bought a new home or a new car or something like that. It's the blessed condition of being in a relationship with God through the redeeming ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, we might be tempted as we look at these Beatitudes to think, well, some of these I think I have. Some of these Beatitudes belong to me. They're, they're attributes that that could be said of me, but a few others maybe for other people. But in reality, all of these characteristics of a Christian disciple are for all Christians all of the time because they say something about who we are 
as those who belong to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. These are our descriptors, these are characteristics that should define our lives because of who we are as Christians. They are a description of our identity in Jesus Christ. And so, in the Beatitudes, our Lord Jesus is really inviting us to be who you are. Be who you are. Live publicly as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Love God. Live before Him in a way that is consistent with who you are in Jesus. And the Beatitudes call us to live very differently than the world, with different attitudes, different commitments, different priorities. Well, the first attribute that we find here of the Christian disciple is poverty of spirit. Poverty of spirit. I want to look with you this morning to Scripture's answer to the question, how is it possible that the truly blessed are the most spiritually bankrupt? How is it that the truly blessed are the most spiritually bankrupt? And I want us to claim the promise and the theme of this passage this morning, that God preserves the blessings of the kingdom of heaven for those who depend on Him for all things, for salvation and for life. Notice with me, first of all, what is poor in spirit? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? We might assume upon reading uh, this beatitude that Jesus is referring to those who are poor in material things, those who have very little wealth, hardly any clothes on their back, very little food to eat. But we very quickly realize that that's not what our Lord Jesus is referring to when He says that we should be poor in spirit. If that were the case, of course, then we'd have no reason to help the poor, which the Bible clearly calls us to do. If Jesus is talking here about uh, material possessions, then we would have to say that to be wealthy is inherently evil, and that's not what our Lord Jesus teaches us. It is the love of money that is wicked, but not uh, the possession of money per se. Matthew is speaking about something very specific here when he records Jesus' words. The poor in spirit are those who have recognized, who have come to grips with their lack of spiritual resources. The poor in spirit are the spiritually bankrupt. They have a profound aware of their complete, their utter dependence upon God. That's poverty of spirit. And I think we see poverty of spirit described in Scripture in two main ways. Poverty of spirit requires dependence upon God for salvation first, and then also for all of life. First, the poor in spirit know that they have no means of saving themselves. Their hard work, their good works, all of their efforts cannot save them. They know, the poor in spirit do, that if they are to taste and enjoy God's gracious salvation, that it must be by grace alone, and it must be through the justifying work of Christ alone. The Apostle Paul was poor in spirit. He wrote to the Philippians in chapter 3 of that letter, and he said, if there was anybody who could be confident in their own righteousness before God, it was me because I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I knew the law backwards and forwards. I was of the right lineage. 
I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Nobody could beat me in terms of my zeal for God's law. I persecuted the church. Uh, No one had greater righteousness under the law. I was blameless. And yet, Paul says, when I came to my senses, I realized this. Whatever gain I had or thought I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He says in Philippians 3, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. And Paul would later say, such a righteousness is not possible. There is no such thing as a righteousness through the law. To be found in him, not having that kind of false righteousness, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul understood, as one who was poor in spirit, that it is by grace that he was saved. Through faith in this was not of himself. It was a gift from God. He could not boast. That's the confession of somebody who is poor in spirit, who depends upon God for his salvation from beginning to end. But the poor in spirit also know that they cannot live the Christian life in their own power. Uh, In the church, unfortunately, sometimes we fall into the error of thinking that once God has saved us, He now sends us off on our own and in our own strength to, to finish off the Christian life. It's as if God is is our cosmic daddy who has taught us how to ride our bike, but now He takes off the training wheels and He pushes us out into the corridors of the Christian life in our own strength, propelled by our own power, in our own sense of direction. And that's not the biblical picture of the Christian life. To be poor in spirit means to depend upon God for everything that we need, even our very breath. It means seeking daily an intimate communion with God through prayer, through through the means of grace, through meditation on His Word, through confession of sin and worship. The poor in spirit know that they can only bear genuine Christian fruit if they remain connected to Christ, connected to the vine, and depend upon Him always in humility and faith. And so, this, this attribute of poverty of spirit comes to expression in our lives in some very practical ways. If we are poor in spirit, we will not be self-assured. We will not uh, depend upon our, our own abilities for our reliance. It means that for our acceptance before God, we will not rely upon the fact that we belong to certain families. We won't boast that we belong to a certain nationality or ethnic group. If we are poor in spirit, we will not put our confidence in our social position or our jobs. We won't rely on our money or our wealth or any material possessions that we have. Our boast will not be in our education or how many degrees we have hanging on our walls. No, to be poor in spirit is to have a deep understanding that every good thing that we have from God flows down from the heavenly heights. 
It's an awareness that before the, the holiness of God, our own morality, our own good works tarnish significantly before His perfect righteousness. In short, to be poor in spirit means that we look to God in complete submission and utter dependence on His grace and mercy. God tells us in Isaiah 66, verse 2, of the kind of person that He delights to look upon. He says, this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble, contrite in heart and in spirit, and trembles at my word. Our Lord delights in the confession of David in Psalm 34, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. My soul makes its boast, not in my abilities, not in my strength, but my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. We know, of course, that our world runs on a very different principle than that. On every TV commercial or magazine article we read, express yourself, believe in yourself, realize the powers that reside in you, and let the world take notice. Self-confidence, self-assurance, self-reliance, those are the mottos of our world. Jesus says, in stark contrast, it is only those who are poor in spirit, who depend upon God for everything they need, for salvation and life. It is only the poor in spirit, the spiritually bankrupt, who are heirs of the kingdom of heaven. But I ask you this morning, are you like that? Are you poor in spirit? As you stand right now before the face of God, a holy and righteous ruler of heaven and earth, as you go forth in this coming week to live and work before His face, how do you see yourself this morning? Are you poor in spirit? Does that attribute define you as a Christian? If we are honest with ourselves this morning, we realize and we recognize and confess that by nature, by our sinful nature, it does not. Our natural tendency is to seek the praise and the adoration of others, even at their expense. By nature, we don't like to do what God assigns us to do unless it leads to some personal benefit or, or applause from others. We, we don't always act as we should. As believers in Jesus Christ, we don't always walk in step with the Spirit as consistently as we should. We sometimes resist the way of God. We don't recognize our spiritual poverty. Who then is poor in spirit? Well, it's precisely because this beatitude exposes our inability and our weakness as Christians that it also points to the one man who perfectly exhibited poverty of spirit, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about how our Lord Jesus modeled completely the very attributes that are described here in the Beatitudes. Our Lord Jesus exhibited poverty of spirit during His entire ministry on earth. He depended always upon God in His Word when He was tempted by the devil 
in the desert. We read uh, early on in Matthew, just a chapter earlier in chapter 4, that immediately at the start of his ministry, he is driven by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And at every turn, at every temptation, our Lord Jesus responded by submitting himself humbly to the Word of God, by depending upon God to meet his needs in that temptation. As we think about Jesus' ministry, we see that he persevered in prayer during his entire ministry on earth, always confessing his need for his heavenly Father according to the flesh. In his baptism, he identified with us. He identified with our infirmities, and he adopted the task to bear our sins, and it was in humble dependence upon the grace and the provision of the power of God that he bore our sins on the cross to secure our salvation. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 through 15 tells us that Jesus partook in our nature. He suffered alongside of us and for us so that through death, He might destroy the one who has the power of death, the devil, and to deliver all those who through fear and death were subject to lifelong slavery. In His life and in His death, our Lord Jesus perfectly fit the description of Isaiah 66 verse 2, that man upon whom the Lord delights to look. And so who is the supreme man? who is poor in spirit is our Lord Jesus. And because God looks down upon him in favor, he has given him the kingdom. He has given him the power and the majesty. And we have been made heirs and members of that kingdom. In his poverty, Jesus purchased the riches of salvation and of the kingdom for us. That was His task as Redeemer, to create a new people, a new kingdom people by the the power of His preaching, to exalt the poor, to break the chains when we were in bondage to sin and decay. And that's what He proclaimed to the assembly there in the synagogue, which we read from Luke chapter 4. Jesus read the scroll, then He sat down. Why? Because He was the one who came to fulfill that very prophecy. When He quoted from Isaiah 61 verse 1 about Himself, when He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to the destitute, to those who need a Savior, to those who are in prison to sin and death, I'm the one who has come to be made poor so that they might be set free and made rich. And so we look to our Lord Jesus Christ as the the perfect model, the perfect example of poverty of spirit. But finally and very briefly, how can we be poor in spirit? As I said in the introduction, this is a list of characteristics or attributes that, that are ours in Christ Jesus. We too are to be poor in spirit. But how do we do that? Well, as we've learned, the answer is not that we look to ourselves. It's not that we ponder how our well-meant efforts can get us there to poverty of spirit. The real answer, the first answer is this. We look to Jesus Christ. We receive in faith His perfect righteousness on our behalf. We ask Him humbly to increase our faith 
We pray for His Holy Spirit to so empty us of pride and self-reliance that we will be filled with His blessedness and His provision. You see, it's when we experience in full the poverty of our souls, the emptiness of our inherent resources, that we then come to know and experience the riches of Jesus Christ and His blessed kingdom forever and ever. It's then that we know that it is God who is the source of all of our blessings, spiritual and physical. It's when we depend on the Spirit of Jesus Christ that we have the power to seek a life of discipleship and faith. And so the search for poverty of spirit in our own lives will lead us to see that by grace that attribute is already attributed to our account by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But it's still something for which we are to strive. Our Lord did not save us so that we might sit on our hands and do nothing. We don't claim the perfect obedience of Christ on our behalf so that we can become apathetic and uncaring about living the Christian life according to God's law. The Lord died to make it possible for us to obey the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. The glorious gospel of salvation in Christ says that we can make real beginnings in holiness and obedience to God's Word. And so, by grace, the attribute of poverty of spirit will ultimately be seen in all of our hearts and our lives through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. It may be slow going. Those beginnings may be small. We rejoice in the promise of God that He will not stop. He will not stop working in us until every one of us reflects poverty of spirit as a true Christian disciple. And so the call of Jesus here in this first beatitude is simply this, be what you are in Jesus Christ. Be what you are. You are poor in spirit. You do depend upon God's goodness to save you, not your own. You do need God's strength to live the Christian life. Your abilities aren't enough. And so grow to be poor in spirit. Long above all things to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven, to be His disciples now and forever. And claim God's blessed promise as you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Everything else that you need is yours and will certainly be met in Jesus Christ. Praise God for His marvelous work in our lives through His Spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, You have told us that we are poor in spirit, that we have a great need as sinful human beings. We have a need for a Savior. When we were in chains, in bondage to sin and death, you provided that Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, to come, to humble Himself, to come in human flesh, to experience the temptations and the infirmities that we also experience, but to live a perfect life in accordance with Your Word, to go to the cross as our Savior, as our Redeemer, to bear Your wrath, to earn for us a righteousness that makes us pleasing to You in Jesus. Father, we are grateful that in our poverty of spirit, You have made us rich 
towards God in Jesus Christ. But we confess, O Lord, that we need Your grace and Your strength and Your provision every single day of our lives. All that we need, breath, life itself, physical and material blessings, all of these things we look to You for. They are not ultimately the result of our hard work. And so, Lord, may we think very diligently and daily about what it means to be and to demonstrate poverty of spirit so that we might also be filled with the knowledge and the assurance that all our needs will be met and have already been met in Jesus Christ. Thank You, O Lord, for the instruction of Your Word. We pray that You would apply it to our hearts, that we might live faithfully before You this day and in the coming week. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.